Hello and welcome to another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host, joined as always by my blue colored badass, Matt. How's it going, my friend? Fantastic, man. It's another nice day here. Construction's moving. We added a new uh, new member to our team, so exciting stuff is going on at work right now. That's awesome, man. I'm uh, just happy to not be traveling, so I'll start with a, a short little story. So last week, I was uh, flying uh, back home and stopped over in Denver, and I have never seen this before, and I, I fly a ton, and this has never happened to where they spilled fuel while refueling the plane. Oh, so shit. <laughs> within yeah. uh, like 20 minutes, you know, there was like 15 guys, then the fire trucks showed up and everything else. Like they were on it to clean up the spill and everything, but it ended up delaying our plane like two hours because we had to yeah. get a new one and they decided to to not <laughs> use that plane, go get another one, tow one over. Uh, and then it ended up being, it was like, you know, eight o'clock at night, but it was that plane's first flight of the day. So they had to do all their checks and everything else. But, uh, first fuel spill that I've ever encountered in travel. <laughs> that's, that's pretty wild, man. I'm, I guess I'm glad that they, uh, they didn't let you fly in a, a fuel soaked bomb, but it sucks. Right. You were delayed. Well, I mean, it just squirted out of the wing. The thing that I was most excited about was when I got my bag, uh, it was not in another plastic bag because what they were doing is uh, there were a bag cart out on the uh, runway, basically, um, that got soaked in jet fuel or jet fuel hit. So they were taking these plastic bags and putting them on luggage of somebody else Uh, you know for each bag they had another plastic bag that they threw over it and i was like well i guess we're gonna find out in about two hours (laughs) whether my bag has jet fuel on it or not yeah which again i've never seen like any of this or the response to it or anything i mean they were on it they cleaned everything up you know they had fire watch all that kind of good stuff but uh that was the most exciting thing i think i've seen (laughs) for (laughs) for travel in a, in a while. But all right, guys, without further ado, I'll introduce our guest here this week. Uh, first off, impressive resume, Doug Winston, president and CEO of DM Electrical Contracting, which is a full service union electrical contracting firm serving the lower Hudson Valley, greater New York metro, which is awesome, uh, public and private sectors. Um, and DNM Electrical Contracting does railroad and heavy power. Uh, sectors and then their sister company dnm utility construction does everything uh big power so transmission distribution substation um no kind of i guess final uh mile if you will and then uh, or you can correct me doug here in a minute if that's incorrect uh but also doing disaster recovery um and does utility repair um with their other uh company so they'll do dielectric testing for all types of uh, equipment, inspection, repair. And then on top of that, which I think we should start with, Doug, is president of DNM Motorsports and Fast Hello. Racing Rentals. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Doug. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Great to meet both of you guys. Yeah, likewise, man. I appreciate you coming on. So I'm going to echo Dylan's sentiment. We'll, we'll get to the construction stuff. That's That's the meat <laughs> and potatoes of our show. But I want to hear about the race cars, man. Yeah, sure. So uh, probably a good, uh, 
15 years ago. Well, first of all, I've, I've always played around with some kind of race car. As a kid, you know, um, we we built drag cars and drag raced, you know, and let's face it, we drive, raced stoplight to stoplight on Friday nights and on Saturdays and Sundays, we got out to the real racetrack sometimes. And, and you know what? We didn't have real race cars. We had street cars that we kind of put on a trailer and drove to the track because they would have never made it back and forth. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that was the extent of my racing. I always had a race car in the garage. My drag race car kind of got put in the garage uh, 1993 when I when I went in business. And I think it came out once between 1993 and the time I sold it in 2008, 2009, actually. So why did I sell it? Um, I had bought a srt8 jeep and it came with a free day at skip barber's racing school so you didn't wreck it and uh we went out there and drove all kinds of crazy cars out on watkins Glen. and i got out on a road course and i said oh the hell with this drag race and stuff man i got it this is what i gotta do so it becomes an addiction and little by little and then it's you know i'm like well i gotta buy a corvette i'm gonna get it with a roll bar in it and roll bar eventually got stripped out when you put a full roll cage pretty soon that was a real race car and in 2010 i got my uh my racing license and uh started doing club racing i spent probably a better part of 10 to 12 years doing club racing a lot of different cool stuff mostly in the northeast here some national you know national events once a year and then in uh 2019 my teammates said um not racing with you guys next year. And he's a young guy. He's 32 years old. Said, what do you mean you're not racing with us next year? Where, where are you going? Said, no, I'm going to Trans Am. Trans Am, that's pro racing. Said, yeah, yeah, I think I'm ready. Said, Whoa, wow, it's pretty serious stuff. So he got me interested. I looked, I said, yeah, you know, maybe I'll rent a car and see how I can do. So, you know, I kind of made up my mind. Said, well, if I can finish mid-pack, I'm going to sell the Corvette and I'm going to, I'm going to buy a real race car and go race in the Trans Am. So uh, I entered my first race at Watkins Glen, which is kind of ironic. It's where it all kind of started. <laughs> and um, finished 16th out of 30 cars. And I said, that's eh, pretty much the middle of the pack. Okay, screw it. So started, got rid of the Corvette, sold it, bought a race car. And for the last few seasons, we've been running uh, in the Pirelli Trans Am series, which uh, just got back from last week. Last weekend, we were out there. We were to support race for uh, NASCAR at Road America out in uh, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. So uh, we raced at 1130. NASCAR raced at 230. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty good race. I had a screwed up Saturday. We, we didn't qualify. We had a problem with the clutch, but a really good crew and they, they got it all back together. And uh, we started 47th, but I managed to finish 18th and uh, won the hard charger award. So, you know, nice. it's all, it's all good stuff. It's fun, but, um, and, you know, segueing into some of the things you talked about, some of my business ventures, I'm the kind of guy that really can't separate, you know, like work and pleasure. So, I justified going pro racing by, well, I only do six races a year. So you know what? I can rent the car for the other six. And that's how fast racing rentals were born. So, um, so the car is available for arrive and drive rentals. So this year, you know, I, I did uh, road Atlanta and then we rented the car out for the West coast tour. So we had a, a another pro driver in there for uh, 
Sonoma and Laguna Seca, got some rental income, came back here, did Lime Rock. Now, next month, we'll be out in uh, Nashville. We'll be the support race for IndyCar at Music City Grand Prix on the streets of Nashville. So that's always a pretty cool race. Awesome. Yep. So, so you actually let random dudes like me or Dylan drive your friggin' race car? No. If you are a licensed pro driver that's fully funded and can afford to pay for it if you wreck it or can afford the insurance, you ah. can have at it. But uh, no, the yeah, average guy, the average guy does not qualify to get behind the wheel car. I'm gonna rent the car to you after I know who you are, know that you've got a you know a, a pro license in your back pocket, or you're capable of getting one, and um, we're gonna make sure you got the resources to pay for it if you break it. So that that makes a little more sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yep. So that's. That's the racing side of things, which, you know, again, I run it like a real business. And, um, you know, this year, that's how uh, Steve and I are a little involved. I met Steve probably uh, about a year ago and saw what he was doing with Bring Back the Trades. And I said, you know what? That would look good right on the hood of my car here. I think we need to go out there and we need to start getting kids interested in playing with cars again and, you know, understanding that it's not a bad thing to be a tradesman, not to be a bad thing, whether it's construction and, you know, whatever it is. I, I have a lot of different trades that work for us. I got race car mechanics that turn wrenches for us on the weekend. I've got diesel mechanics and hydraulic mechanics that work for us, fixing our bucket trucks and cranes during the week. And that's, that's another business venture I have, which is Northeast utility equipment repair. And again, it, it kind of just stemmed from my whole business philosophy. We got to a point where we had, regular mechanics couldn't fix our bucket trucks. So we said, you know what, let's bring in a guy. We had a guy that, you know, knew how to fix these things, brought him in. He had 30 years experience. He worked for us for a lot of years. We brought in some new people. He trained and uh, he retired last year, but we have a, a shop there and it grew into its own business. I said, listen, if I'm fixing my trucks, why don't I fix other people's truck? Helps me lower my overhead. So Northeast Utility Equipment Repair or Nuquip is born out of that. So again, that's part of the DNM family of companies. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I constantly look at things from an angle of, well, I need this. So what can I do to help pay for it? And it's just, just the way my brain works. Uh, it's a great business model, right? <laughs> right. Now here's the, here's the downside. Okay. I've had an ad for the last month looking for a diesel mechanic because one of my mechanics moved to Texas. I can't get a diesel mechanic. I can't get a kid out of school. I can't get anybody. Why? Because we've created this stigma that turning wrenches is for grease monkeys. And you know what? Well, guess, guess what? These guys are making 40, $50 an hour. I don't think that's grease monkey money anywhere plus benefits. So, you know, it's uh, there's a, there's a big perception problem out there and, Again, my involvement with Bring Back the Trades and Steve is to change that perception and let kids know that, you know what, if you go to college, you're only guaranteed of one thing, debt. <laughs> That's about all you're guaranteed of because they ain't going to get you into an entry-level job. And, I, and I'm, I can tell you that we interview lots of kids for our, you know, more uh, inside positions here supporting our, you know, the rest of our team. And um, we're not overwhelmingly encouraged by the level of entry level worker that's coming out of college. Um, I don't feel like they're learning anything. So 
Um, and, I, and I don't mean to be mean about college. I don't think it has to be. A, it's not a, you know, if you're not a tradesman, I don't acknowledge it. That's not the way it is. The problem is, is that I think the educational system in this country is badly broken in that we encourage kids to just do endless random education, which really focuses on very little. And all it does is enrich the educator and the education system. Um, personally, uh, I would, if it was up to me, I would totally change the way we do education, you know, from a high school level up. Um, kids don't know what they want to do. They're just encouraged to do whatever that, you know, anything and everything. And the longer it takes, the better because, well, you know, well, whatever, well, you could change your major, who cares? You know, it's just more money for us. But uh, if I, if I had my way, I would, uh, I would start freshman year of high school with exploratory classes that taught you about a different tract every semester. And, you know, maybe you're saying, I don't know whether I want to be an electrician or an anesthesiologist, but I want to learn about both. And I want to know how much school it takes to do each one. I want to know how much money I can expect to make. I want to know what other careers are maybe available to me. If, you know, I don't do that. I want to know what possibilities there are of other things. And then maybe after I spend that semester and I learn I don't want to do either one of those things, I'm going to explore something else. And then we're going to figure out where we want to go for the next three years. And are we going to prepare you for college or are we going to prepare you for something, you know, career in the trades? And at least when people leave high school, we'll at least either have them prepared for the workforce or have them ready to go to college, but with a plan, not I'm going to change my major three times or I'm going to get a degree in liberal arts and then, you know, I'll be a barista at Starbucks. So. <laughs> well, I would vote for you, man. <clears throat> I would yeah. vote for you in a heartbeat with that platform because our, our system has been broken for 20 plus years <clears throat> to say the least. And you know, it's no, it's, it's 35, 40 years. Okay. 35, well, 40 years. And I can, I can tell you the evidence behind that. I remember being a, a, a high school freshman. And I went to, uh, I went to Catholic school and um, I remember being told, if you don't get a job with computers, go to college and work with computers, you're going to be left out. And I, and I, I'd never thought for my life about being an electrician, never did. But I remember him saying that. And I said, doesn't somebody still have to put the outlet in the wall you plug the computer into? And he snapped at me and he said, they're going to have stuff. They're going to have technology where a guy's going to be able to run a marker across the wall and it'll conduct electricity and any idiot could do it. And you, you're not going to need skilled people for that. And I just, you know, thought that was kind of far-fetched and never remembered that conversation again until probably a few years ago. But uh, in, in a similar experience, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do in high school. I had absolutely no clue. Um, I had to go my senior year and visit the guidance counselor and she was a nun and she was a tough lady and uh, I could see her face, but I don't remember her name, but I remember her picking up my folder and she looked and she said, what do we have here? Mr. Winston, you're going to Westchester community college for electrical engineering technology. What kind of a bullshit course is that? And I was like, excuse me, sister. <laughs> And she goes, what's the deal here? Why aren't you taking engineering? I said, I don't want to be an engineer. Well, then why are you doing this? I'm like, I don't want to be an engineer. Why not? Said, I don't want to sit behind a desk for the rest of my life. It's not me. I'm, I hate math. Why would I want to be an engineer? 
if you could be a field engineer, I, I don't want to be an engineer. That just, just doesn't interest me. Just, well, what do you like to do? What are you going to do when you leave here today? I'm going over to John Carrillo's house. We're going to work on his cougar. He's got a 68 Cougar he's building. You know, I'm going to wire the wire in the stereo, but I'm kind of interested. I'm watching the guys rebuild the engine. I kind of like that. So, so she looks at me and she goes, you like the electrical stuff? I said, yeah, I like electrical stuff. She goes, why don't you become an electrician? I don't want a blue collar job. Why? What's wrong with a blue collar job? I couldn't answer her. She goes, do you have any relatives that are electricians? I says, yeah, my cousin Al owns his own company. He goes, perfect. You're going to go home. You're going to call him. And you're going to ask him if you could work for him this summer. The only thing I could say was, yes, sister. Can I go? She goes, yeah. I left. Went home, told my mother. My mother goes, oh, that's a good idea. That'll help you with electrical engineering technology that you're going to take in college. Because, of course, you know, why are you going to college? Because my mother said I have to. Okay. So my grandfather takes me over to meet my cousin Al. And he says, don't come to my old house. Come to my new house. Oh, the one in Tuckahoe. No, my new house, the one in Scarsdale. Scarsdale. Oh, that's a big money area. Guy's 32 years old. I'm like, he's on his second house? Okay, we go to his house. I look around, 3,000 square feet, brand new, beautiful colonial, nice neighborhood. He goes, what do you think? I go, it's nice. He goes, I got no mortgage. I said, you got no mortgage? He says, I got no mortgage. I said, how'd you do that? The house I built in Tuckahoe? Yeah, I sold it. Made good money on it. I bought this lot for cash. It had a house in the middle. I knocked it down, subdivided it, sold off the other lot. My house is free. Wow. This guy's 32 years old. Holy cow. So you want to be an electrician? I go, oh, you know, I'd like that. Maybe. I, I don't know. You know, I'd like to try. You know what an electrician does? No, tell me. And we talked about, you know, this is what an electrician does. You know, we, we wear a tool pouch and an apron and, you know, I, I, we run wires from here to there. We could do this. We bend pipe. We do that. I left there that night and I said, okay, I know what I want to do. I want to be an electrical contractor. That's what I want to be. I want to be a con- I don't want to be an electrician. I want to be a contractor. So now I have, you know, I had a plan and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to build a house by the time I'm 30. I want to get my license by the time I'm 25. I want to build a house by the time I'm 30. I got a plan. I'm set. Let's do this. So I start working there and I love it. It's great. I'm enjoying it. It's everything I ever could imagine having a career. And, you know, I was long on my way to, to being a uh, electrician. The only thing that stood in my way was getting my money back, my $800 that I spent for tuition at Westchester Community College. So they told me, you need to go see the dean. You got to beg them to give you your money back. So I went to go visit the dean of engineering. And uh, he was an older, older man who uh, I'll never forget. He, he obviously had been a fire, had bad scars on his face. Very intimidating looking and uh, had a heavy southern drawl, sat down in front of me face to face, practically nose to nose and said to me, what's this I hear, boy? You want your money back? And I said, yes, sir. I said, well, you know, um, my guidance counselor suggested that I work for the summer as an electrician and I've been working as a helper for my cousin. And, you know, I got a plan. I want to become an electrical contractor. I want to get my license by the time I'm 25. I want to build a house by the time I'm 30. And, you know, I, I feel like this is what I want to do with my life. And he looked at me, he stayed silent for a minute. And then he said, you're lazy boy. 
That's your problem. You're the problem. You're what's wrong wrong with this country. People like you. You want to be a wire jerk? And he ripped into me for the better part of an hour. Didn't listen to a word I said. Really could care less what I had to say. It was all about him. And when he was all done, he said, you just need somebody like me to kick your ass. And I'm just the guy to do it. Now, what do you say? So I say, I want my money back. Send it to that address right on the paper. I got up and walked out. And I figured I'd never see him again in my life. Never thought about him again in my life. Ten years later, I did my first public work job. I've been in business for three years. And I'm walking down the hallway at Westchester Community College. Got a small project there that I was pretty proud of. It was bonded public work and you know, it was kind of a big deal to me. And as I walked out of the kickoff meeting, I looked down the hallway and who's walking towards me in the same suit he was wearing the day he ripped into me 10 years before. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I'm good. And then I'm like, nah, don't waste your breath on this guy. And I walked away. And that's the only time I ever remembered him again. Never thought of him for 10 years, but that's the mentality we're dealing with. You know, this is that we're poisoning kids. You know, you got to go to college so you can be better than everybody else. Guys, come on. Let's be for real. You know, there's there's a lot of people in this world that we need to keep the keep the cogs moving and they can't be stupid. I hate to break it to you. You know, we can't give the the, the manual labor jobs and the, and the physical stuff. I mean, look, to be a laborer. OK, I get it. You, you don't need to have a ton of huge skill sets, but I guarantee you that there's a lot of laborers out there who are a little more intelligent than your average college kid when it comes to certain things. You know, you hand the kid today a, a tape measure and he looks at you like, what do you want me to do with this? You don't know how to read a tape measure. Nobody in school teaches you how to read a tape measure. You know, you give him a can of spray paint. I had a kid that worked for us here. He was just a driver. I said, go stencil those gang boxes before you send that. I came back. Did you do it? He goes, it didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? You put the stencil, you take the stencil, you spray paint, you take it off. Ah, there's something wrong with the paint. It's all glopping up. Well, he was holding the spray paint about a half an inch from the stencil and it was just dripping everywhere. And one of my one of my vice presidents here looked at me, he laughed. He said, You gotta realize these kids, they didn't build bicycles and paint them colors and work on their cars. You know, they foreign to them. They don't know how to do this stuff. And I think that's a shame. I think, you know, sitting in front of a, you know, a, some sort of gaming system, as opposed to being out in the fresh air, riding your bike or souping up your bike and turning wrenches and fixing your bike when it breaks. I think we've, uh, I think the today's generation's lost out on a whole bunch of skill sets that they really need to, uh, explore and get back but i think if we get them in, in, you know first of all we need to spread the message that skilled trades are a good way to make a living um and you know i get the arguments that they go well you know a college degree at the end of the day you know your, your tradesmen will make more in the beginning but at the end of the day the the i said no because you are assuming that the tradesman is always going to have the entry-level job and the guy with the degree is going to have upward mobility the tradesman has upward mobility. The tradesman can turn around. The tradesman goes from being an apprentice to a journeyman. The journeyman becomes a foreman. The foreman may become a general foreman or superintendent. And then, you know what? They look and they say, he's a smart guy. Let's bring him in. Let's make him an estimator. 
The estimator becomes a project manager. The project manager becomes a project executive. And one day that guy might be the president of the company or he may open his own company. So that model that we tell kids that, oh, a tradesman makes more money initially, but the guy with the degree makes more. Listen, it's what you make of anything. Okay. If you go to school for accounting and you become a staff accountant at a big firm and you just remain a staff accountant for the rest of your life, it's a whole different than the guy who turns around and says, well, I'm going to become a CPA and I'm going to open my own firm and I'm going to have other people working for me. We can't teach that. That's ambition. And that's a whole other story. But at the end of the day, the problem we have here is that we're just gearing everybody to this college for all mentality. And what gets left is the guidance counselor who says, well, you got a 50 average in math and you got a 20 average in science. Maybe you should be a plumber. Now, maybe that guy will be a good plumber because at the end of the day, we can't teach people things they're not interested in. And that's the problem. We lack passion in, 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 in our industries today. People are just taking jobs because they say, oh, we need more women in this trade. Okay, well, do they have any interest in it? You can't learn something you have no interest in. You can only memorize it for the sake of st standardized testing, and then it's forgotten. So, you know, I, I just feel like if we can find out what people are passionate about, what makes them motivated, we've got an opportunity to drive them to a, a track where they have a chance of being successful instead of this is a good job. You could take this job if you think maybe you might like it. I mean, we get engineering interns in here. We used to take interns in. I used to ask them, do you know what an engineer does? They say, no. But you're going to be a senior. I, I don't know. Don't know what an engineer does. And they're going to be a senior. It's terrible. Well, there's so much to unpack in here. Um, you know, one of the things that I want to go back to is I think we start people earlier, you know, than even freshmen in, in high school. Cause by that time you've kind of made up your mind on what path, what uh, pieces you're taking and just the exposure to, to trades and that there's other paths I think is beneficial. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm right there with you. I think we should just do it earlier. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that like, Wi-Fi still needs wires, right? So yep. you got internet in your house, it still needs a right, wire right. pulled to it. Right. It still needs, you know, even though it's wireless internet, you know, there's a router and a wire somewhere connected to it. I think a lot of people forget Correct. those pieces. Right. You um, also have to have a house to put it in. <laughs> yes, you do. Well, even a commercial building, right? Like you, gotta, you need a lot of trades around that. Somebody needs to, there. look, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> we don't live in cardboard huts. We don't live in caves. Somebody's got to provide these things for us. Uh, somebody's got to be able to do it. Somebody's got to be able to fix them when they break. You know, that's yeah. well, and you got to cut sense. a tree down to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You, you need all of it. Um, and, and one real quick thing. So I just looked it up. So there's 625,000 electricians in the United States. There are like 4,500 uh, electrical engineers within the AEC industry. So it's one in 156. So there's one engineer for 156 and a quarter electricians. So 
yeah. to, to your point, like more people should be going into the trades than into engineering. I yeah, just, I mean, again, too, though, you're, you're actually you're actually kind of taking a smaller cross section because an electrical engineer sometimes is a guy who's building PCs or he's designing. Well, so this is pure AC, pure AC, Bureau of Statistics, like BLS right. numbers. There's five, yeah. four or five thousand engineers purely in the architecture, engineering, construction right. space. Gotcha. Yeah, because yeah. so I am I'm a licensed PE. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, like I've, <laughs> I've actually looked up those numbers. Yeah, there there's go. there's way more. There's there's you know hundreds of thousands. You know, you start including communications and everybody else into electrical engineering um, as a whole, right? So you yeah. include people that work on phones and electronics and submarines and all the other yeah. stuff that's out yep. there. There's there's a lot more, but purely in construction, it's yeah. like 4,500, 5,000 people. So. Yeah. It's, then you got to add in, we also have linemen, which DNM Utility employs linemen. So linemen are not electricians. Linemen are working out there, putting the poles up and putting wires and manholes under the road. And we're taking care of everything before the meter. Now, street lighting is also falling under that jurisdiction. So there are other, uh, there's other careers. There's a lot of careers in that, just even if you're going in that electrical field. Like I said, there's a lot of subsets and a lot of different specialties and completely different trades. So lineman, electrician, two different trades, similar, lots of, you know, similarities, but again, totally different trades. So yeah, you got yeah. a lot of the trades bundled up in that. And, and then on the other end of the spectrum, the low voltage guy, like you say, the guy who's running the, the that fiber optic with a category six wiring. And he, he's making sure that, you know, that that computer network works. So we've, we've got a lot of other cross sections in there also to that don't get encompassed in that term electrician. So there's a lot of a lot of trades out there and a lot of jobs. Yep. Yeah. Point being is you need a lot more people in the trades yes. than you do on the engineering and design side of the coin. Correct. And, and I think that's what we forget, you know, for granted there's a need for engineers architects like people especially engineers maybe not so much architects but good architects but um the the point being that you know there's a need for good engineers good architects there's an, a need for you know good tradespeople that can do a good job show up day in and day out and there's a lot more need in the trades than there is, you know, within engineering firms and architecture firms. Not that there isn't one, but there's a much greater need for skilled trades and people. And I think the bigger point here too is that we need to teach skills. Um, you know, there's there's life skills, there's engineering skill sets, there's architecture skill sets, there's estimating skill sets, there's finance and accounting skill sets. And at the end of the day, it's to to focus on learning a skill and becoming very proficient at it, you know, and the trades do an amazing job at teaching, you know, skill sets for their specific trade, as well as, you know, other things around that. And I think that's really the bigger point that uh, we all miss is to become skilled and proficient in, in whatever it is that you're looking to do, whether that's business, finance, estimating a trade, engineering, whatever it is. I think that's the the bigger point here is, you know, versus going to college and getting a degree or doing some type of program. It's like, what skill are you going to be able to come out? The piece of paper doesn't mean anything if you can't be proficient in a 
skill out of that. I think that's the the bigger point that we're trying to get at. Agreed. And again, it goes back to what I said. It's what are you passionate about? You're not going to learn something that you have little or no interest in. It's great that somebody told you this field you can make a lot of money in, but guess what? If you're miserable, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. You spend a lot of time at work every day. You better be happy about it or better yet. How about be enthusiastic about it? How about doing something you love? So that's really what it comes down to. And I think the big point too that I want to come back and touch on is you go into your cousin and we've had a lot of guys, you know, that own trades companies on the show. And that's one of the big stories that comes out of it. You know, they went and saw somebody who was successful in their business and at a young age, right? 32 um, for house free and clear. Like you don't see that in the rest of on the design side, you don't see an architect that's like that. They're just getting out and doing their thing. You know, engineering, you could be pretty much the top of your field by then, but the, we don't see a lot of that necessarily on the design side, but you see a lot of it on the the contracting side of the business. Uh, And I think that's heavily missed of, you know, what the real possibilities are within a, a decade of being in the trades. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, as crazy as this, it's, it sounds ironic, but I, I, tonight at uh, 7.15, I have a, a friend of mine's son coming over and wants to talk about a career in, in, in the electrical trades. So it's, you know, it, it's what we do as tradesmen. It's what we do as, you know, again, try to transfer that enthusiasm to a new generation and, and show them, you know, this is what you could do. And, and, and maybe look, that's not for them, but they say, well, you know, but, but this may be for me. So, you know, we're okay with that. You know, find out, explore, find out what it is you like. So, you know, his father's a carpenter. He's worked with his father and he kind of sees the electricians and he's like, that interests me. All right. Well, you're going to go talk to Doug tonight. And, uh, you know, one conversation can change his entire life, you know, just like I, I know that for a fact. So yeah, that, that, that I certainly know for a fact. So I'm, I'm more than happy to be part of those conversations. Absolutely. That, I mean, that's how I got my start. <clears throat> I started building houses when I was very, very young. And I saw the guy I worked for had a corporate job. He worked for, uh, for UPS and he hated it. He yeah. hated it with a passion. He said, screw it. And he quit, dropped everything and started building houses and, and was pretty damn successful for a long time with it. And it was that kind of, that firing in the synapse at, at 17 years old. I thought, shit, I, I don't want to go and sit in an office all day ever. I'm going to go and build stuff. And saw, saw so much of that in the eighties, in the eighties, I met so many guys and, and you turn around and say, Oh, I, I was a stockbroker five years ago, but you're a <laughs> stockbroker. He goes, Oh yeah. He says, I sit in an office behind a desk and a little piece of me would die every day. He said, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'd have some little guy who looked like a worm was my boss and he'd yell at me. He says, now here, I got a problem with you. We'll, we'll just, you know, we'll hit each over the head with two by fours and we'll, take it out of the backyard and that's the way it was back in the you know back in the day but you know you looked and you're like yeah that's the way that's the that's the way it should be it's it was certainly a different world but same thing there was a lot of people who got into that corporate world said this is not for me and they uh they they got out pretty quick Uh, case in point is um my partner in northeast utility equipment repair um was a friend of mine we raced cars together and and he was an it guy for new york life and um he was probably around 38 at the time maybe maybe a little younger maybe 35 
And uh, he was getting married. And I said, hey, life's really changing. He says, yeah, I'm going from being a bachelor, you know, getting married, settling down. He says, now I just need a new career. Says, what do you mean? So you got a great job. You got a six-figure job. He goes, I hate my job. I hate getting up every day. He says, but you're a manager. You got pieces. Listen to me. He said, how do you motivate a staff that on any given day, their job may be lost? And you tell them, oh, we're outsourcing that to India. He goes, because that's what we do every day. How do you motivate that staff? Said, yeah, that kind of sucks. So I kind of, what are you, you going to do? I don't know. Maybe I'll start all over. Maybe I'll get into the trades. Maybe I'll buy a franchise. I don't know. I don't know, but I, I, I just can't do this anymore. So I kind of mold around in my head. This guy's a great mechanic. He's a fantastic fabricator. He's really a smart guy. He's good with computers. He's an IT guy. You know, he, he'd be good with some of these new real high-tech systems we've got in these, these equipment. And uh, I went to a mutual friend. I says, what do you think? You think John would be interested? He goes, I think he'd love it. Make him an offer. So uh, <laughs> I brought him, uh, brought him out for a drink one night. I says, so here's the deal. I got this other company I own. It's not really performing. I got one guy in there. I really, I'm at the point where I need one and a half guys, but I need a manager more than I need, you know, a mechanic. I need somebody that can really take care of everything. And uh, so he says, it's kind of interesting. You know, what's, who's our competitor? And I said, well, here, you Google, Google bucket truck repair, New York. He goes, there's only one other company, this new quip. I go, that's us. He goes, we're the only cons. We're the only company that's doing this in this area. He goes, wow. Said, yeah. He said, I'm in. And that's it. So it's been about, uh, I'm going to say six, seven years now. And uh, we've grown the business probably 250%. And, um, you know, he's doing what he loves every day. He's got a piece of the action. He's, you know, brought him in as a, as a smaller minority shareholder. And now he owns half the company with me. So, um, and, and it works for both of us. It's great. But yeah, it's that, it's that, you know, kind of world where, yeah, you need a, you know, you need a college education. You need a corporate job. That's how you're only way you're going to be successful. Well, got too many people I can show you as an example of just the opposite. So, well, and there, there's so many stories like that, you know, 35 life change, like the average age. I heard this recently, the average age of somebody coming into the trades is 30. Because yeah. they yep. they went a different path, decided it wasn't for them. Like yeah. we have a, a fairly good friend that uh, became an elevator technician, like at thirty, and yeah. you know tried a lot of things, and then finally found his way to that, and absolutely loves it. Found a brotherhood, found a place that he fits in, and, and absolutely loves. So you know, for everybody out there, like you know, from a, a guy that was doing IT work in corporate America at 35 or late thirties to make the transition to, you know, something completely different is not a unique story. I mean, I think even to your point of the eighties, I think there's a lot of stockbrokers today that are doing the exact same thing <laughs> and quitting and, and doing something else. And you see more of them obviously there in New York than, you know, we yeah. do in the rest of the country. I, I have another friend who was a childhood friend I grew up with. We went to high school together. He became a stockbroker and uh, left to go back to and he bought the business that he worked in while he was in college. He bought an auto repair shop that did auto and glass. And that's that's what he does. So, yeah, I, I, I've seen lots of it. Um, 
lots of it. So it does, it's, and it's okay. And we, you know, we, being a union shop, we have apprenticeship program. So I, I sit on um, a lot of the interview committees at times and we'll interview guys coming in. And just like you said, we get, we'll get guys that are, you know, much later in life. And you look and you say, oh, I don't get it. And you're like, I just I can't do this anymore. And I know what I want to do. And, you know, they present themselves well. And you look and you know, they're going to be good. They're going to be good at it. And, and we do, we take those guys. So, um, you know, look, it's never too late to get out there and, 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 you know, get into something new. So, you know, don't, if you didn't get it right the first time, there's still time. Absolutely. You might as well find something you enjoy and, and you get some pride out of. Um, Doug, how many people do you employ roughly across all the, all the companies? Um, I would say on a, on a probably average basis from high to low, somewhere from between 35 to 60 on any given, you know, uh, any given day. And that's seasonal, you know, it's going to swell up more as we start to get into the, uh, we start to get into the summer months here. Now we're getting hurricane season, you know, this time we may have, uh, you know, 65, 70 guys working because 30 of them are, you know, in Florida because there's a hurricane. So we'll go all over the country for storm response. And that's, that's one of the things we do. So, um, <clears throat> when you see those convoys of bucket trucks heading down towards whatever natural disaster is going on, we're usually got a part of that if you're east of the Mississippi. Okay. So I just want to point out, you know, you're a great example of this, right? You're, you're LinkedIn, you, you list, you went to the school of hard knocks, you know, and you, you paid a healthy tuition there, but you know, for a guy who didn't go to college, who figured out what he wanted to do by, by an accident, right. By getting yelled at by a guidance counselor you're now employing scores of people. You're providing jobs for hardworking Americans. You've got numerous companies. You're providing disaster relief for people, you know, hundreds of miles away from you. It's pretty yeah. damn impressive. And, and I think we need Thank to you. highlight, we need to highlight stories like yours more. And, and not just that, you know, you're an electrician, but you're a, you're a blue collar badass, right? You're a job creator. You're a company creator. You're a culture builder. You're, you're so many other things than than the sparky right and and yeah. your story doesn't get out there enough and that i think is what what helps to get into schools and to get younger younger kids seeing that that okay it's not just yes you may have started in the trades you started with your tool bags on but it has evolved into so much more and so much bigger than probably you even thought it could back then but kids aren't seeing that yeah, it definitely. I mean, again, you know, my, my initial vision of success was going to be, oh, you know, if I could have a nice little company just like my cousins here and maybe have four or five people work for me and have a nice house, that's all I ever want. And, you know, um, I, I'm the kind of person who gets bored easy. So, um, you know, you kind of master something and then you go, and oh, now what am I going to do? And, and, and it's pretty much what happened to me. I mean, I, I remember it. I was probably, you know, 32 years old. And it was like, well, wait a second. I made all these goals for when I was 30. I hit them. Now what do I do? And then, you know, it was kind of like, I think at first it was, I, I got I to find new goals. You know, was like, I want to build a power plant and I want to do this. And I'm going <laughs> to, and, and then I got to the point was, you know what, you know what my goals are? Do whatever the hell I want. That's my goals. And, uh, you know, trust me that you always set those internal goals and, Sometimes they're important, sometimes they're not, but they give you direction. And, um, you know, 
like I said, it's more important to go and do whatever the hell I want, but you still got to figure out how to pay for it. So, you know, things usually evolve, one evolve from the other. Like I said, I wanted to, I wanted to go race cars professionally. So I figured the easiest way to do it was, well, I'm going to do six a year. I'll rent the cars for the rest of the balance. We'll generate some income. And, you know, it's, it's provided a good business model. It's helped me. So, um, you know, and, and now we use it as a platform to try to, uh, you know, promote, bring back the trades and, uh, and the skilled trade, you know, telling people that it's okay to be a, you know, a skilled tradesman, and, you know, Steve goes out of his way to raise money, give kids scholarships. And, um, you know, one of the, I him, what's the biggest problem you have right now? He says, not enough applicants. That that's, that's really, that bothers me. You know, we need to get in touch with kids and parents and let them know that these are options because, we're, we're facing a big problem and that's attrition. You know, as tradesmen are retiring, we're not getting not only the same amount of people, we're not getting the same caliber of people. And it's that, that same attitude, you know, um, and, and the problem becomes global across the whole industry. And when I say it's global, it's not just that guy turning the wrench in the field. It's the, lack of ability to bring in those experienced guys as they get further in their career and make them estimators and make them project managers. So we end up going to the colleges and it's very hard for a guy who has only seen a picture of something in a book to understand how it goes together and all the other little ancillary things that have to happen. So, you know, we're losing that experience base because we're taking people in now that are getting into trades that unfortunately either English is not their first language. So there's, there's definitely a deficit when it comes to the paperwork end of things where they need to be able to write a proposal or send an intelligent email as part of their job. Um, and you, you, we get people here who, again, you know, you, you'll look and you'll have a guy and you'll say, he's, he, he's good. He knows what he's doing in the field. He knows his business but he doesn't use capital letters or punctuation, you know, and <laughs> you, you can't put that guy in the office and make him a, a, a project manager. So, you know, you, you've got these shortfalls because we're pushing the people into those jobs to say it's beneath you. You're you're an intelligent person. So there's no reason for you to go into the trades. Yeah, we we allowed our farm clubs to be completely eroded. Right. And, and it's just like in baseball, you don't you don't bring a, a guy into a, a major league baseball team who's watched a lot of baseball and knows a lot of stats. Right. You bring the guy up through the club who's, you know, been hitting the knuckles and, and played for 10 plus years. Right. And, and to your point, I mean, I, I've hired and then fired numerous guys who came out of college with a big fancy construction management degree, but never swung a hammer. Right. Never, never wore a pair of boots until they went out and right. looked at, a, at one of my job sites. And it doesn't work. It, it right. rarely, rarely works. I'll put it that way. Right. No, it, it, it rarely works. It does. And that's, that's the thing. So again, we need to get back to that whole grassroots movement of you come into the trades, you're a helper, you're an apprentice, you learn, you know, it was, I was non-union. So we, you know, we, we didn't use the term apprentice or journeyman. You were a helper or a mechanic. Sure. And, I, you know, and that and that's fine. Either one. The bottom line is it just shows you the progression and we really need to get back to those progressions. But more importantly, is we need to teach intelligent people that they've got opportunities here so that they don't feel like, well, that's not available to me because that's for dumb kids. 
So we really, really, really need to present the opportunities. And again, showing them, you know, where you started and where you ended up um, is probably the best, uh, the best way to do it. So, you know, we got to keep doing it. I, I know you say it, it seems foreign. I look at all the people that I'm surrounded with that I know, and I, it seems obvious that this is how, where they came from, and this is just how we did it. And I guess it's just, just not the case anymore. And we've got to get back to, uh, you got to get back to selling that. And that's really what it comes down to. We got to sell it to guidance counselors, although that's probably another big problem. Um, you know, the schools are not some schools. And again, depending on the areas you're in, I think when you're in the more urban areas, you have far less of a chance of selling that. I should say the suburban area, the urban areas, you probably have an opportunity to get to some of those kids because um, I think there's, it's a little more receptive to, for, for, for some of them to get into the trades. I think it's the suburbs that really hurt us um, because in the, in the rural areas as well, I think it's receptive, but the suburban areas, we're losing those kids um, because it's just that attitude that it's beneath them. Um, I had a friend of mine who just recently retired as a teacher and I said, what kind of teacher are you, Jack? And he said, oh, I was a, I was a sharp wood shop teacher. They still have wood shop? He goes, well, I don't think you understand. I go, what do you mean? What don't, what don't I understand? He goes, well, my job is to foster an interest in engineering. If I was ever to suggest that one of these kids be a carpenter, I'd lose my job. That's not allowed. So that's kind of, you know, the things we're seeing. And, um, and it's the things we got to fix. We've got to get into, into the schools. Or if not through the schools, we got to do it through a back door. And, you know, we've got to get kids interested in building things with their hands and, and not say to them, well, now that you're interested in building something, now you should be an engineer. Say to them, you like building things? Let's build things. Let's go ahead. There's no crime in building things. There's no crime in turning wrenches. There's nothing wrong with wanting to work on your car on Saturday it's, you know, this is what we did as kids. And, you know, it was kind of a natural progression. You know, you, you built a bike when you were 12, you built a car when you were 16 and, you know, you built a house when you got older, but you know, it's, I mean, look, the weekend warriors are still out there. The home depots are full of them. The problem is, is that there's nobody to actually even teach them what to do. It's, you know, again, like I said, attrition is a big problem. Doug, where can they reach you if they want to reach out and have a conversation? Uh, listen, I mean, my my email is always the easiest way to find me, Doug at dmelectrical.com. Uh, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people that are sincere about, you know, uh, wanting to get into the trades or anything else for that matter. I'm always interested in having a, a, a sincere conversation. So um, I'm available. Doug, I'm also going to point out, I, I, we've been connected on LinkedIn, you know, vaguely for a long time. I, I certainly enjoy your, uh, your pull no punches attitude. And <laughs> so if you call him as I say, you know, whether you like it or not, and, uh, I always try to be respectful of people's opinions. You know, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to mine. It's when you think that, uh, I'm not entitled to mine anymore. We're going to have a problem. So I'm big. Free speech is is the basis of what this country is founded on, and I'm happy to debate anybody on any topic. And uh, and you know what? 
there's many a times people have come to me and said, look at it from this perspective. And I'll say, yeah, you're right. You know what? I'll give you, I'll give you that. You're right. And there's many a times I've had the same kind of arguments with people and they go, yeah, I didn't think of it from that perspective. Okay. You know, there's more common ground than we think. And I think that's the, that's the key is that most people don't realize there's a lot more common ground than we think when you uh, just sit down and have a conversation. So you need to do more of that. <laughs> Doug, I, I appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show today, man. My pleasure. Thanks. Glad to join you guys. Yeah. And just, just in closing, you know, I think at the core of this too, um, hard work pays off, you know, and, and the value of hard work and no matter what discipline you go into, but especially, you know, in the trades, those that are, are willing to work, willing to put in, you know, hours, both mentally, physically, um, you know, it pays off. And I think that's really the, the core of the problem that you see ultimately in the, in the suburbs, right. In the rural communities, you it have is. people that, like I'm a farm kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> I grew up doing yep. 4-H, all yep. that kind of good stuff. Uh, and on that note, uh, I, so I do have to mention this on the show. So our local uh, fair and auction was this last weekend. They raised almost $1.2 million in the auction. Um, wow. Yeah, it was wow. insane um, what some of these animals were going for. But you could tell who who went around, who talked to business owners in the community, who went and pounded the pavement, you know, handed out their flyers that they made, uh, did some real work, not only in raising the animals, but, you know, on the other side of it and talking to business owners. So in a, in a small rural community of 50,000 people, um, you know, our little local deal was able to raise, you know, for the kids, right? All this money goes to the kids. Um, just about, it was like $1.18 million dollars um, that's great two kids awesome fantastic yeah. but great that's <laughs> that's what you end up seeing right and i don't think a lot of people see granted you're never going to get that you know as a as a farmer you're getting a buck a pound not <laughs> 12 right. for uh, right. <laughs> an animal but the whole point is that that hard work pays off right and i think a lot of people um like in the suburbs especially i think to your point don't see that as much right in urban communities they see their parents working probably two three jobs in the suburb or in the rural communities, you know, worked in long hours, especially during harvest season, you yeah. know, in, in shoulder seasons that maybe not putting in as much, but when harvest comes, you know, it's like a 24 uh, seven type of job. So yeah. I think that's important to remember that at the end of the day, hard work pays off, you know, and there's a different type of intelligence that, that we all possess. Some are more mechanically inclined. Uh, some are more math and science inclined, but at the end of the day, you find your niche come great at it, you know, put in the work. And I think that's really the moral of the story here is uh, find your passion. Exactly. Is that, and it's that and, easy, find your passion. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I love the stories. I love the analogies and, and really pushing to get people in the trades. And I actually had one more last question for you. I've been taking notes here is um, when you rent out your car, does that bring back the trades logo, stay on it? the for no matter it's what completely reason. up to the driver who rents it if they want to change the livery they can the last driver actually kept it on there so the bring back the trades livery has been on the car for uh a solid eight races this season so we're that's getting awesome. it out there yep we're we're heading to nashville next and in fact we've got a little uh on the on the on the topic of auctions one of my uh, vice presidents here was our vice president of our utility division. He builds guitars. So he is actually building a bring back the trades 
commemorative guitar for the Music City Grand Prix. It's going to have the Music City Grand Prix logo and the Bring Back the Trades logo. We're going to be auctioning that off, and the proceeds are going to go to pay for scholarships. So that's going to be coming up there. Maybe we'll get some information to you guys so you can uh, maybe help us put it out there. Absolutely. That's awesome. Cool. Great. Yeah, that's beautiful. Again, Doug, thank you for coming on, guys. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Share this show. It's important to get the message out about the trades, about having opportunities, about working hard. Um, again, that's really the basis of America is working hard, following your dreams, building, uh, whether you build an organization, empower other people to follow their dreams, have a good conversation to empower somebody and change the whole direction of their life. All that's important. Um, so again, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the shows. And Doug, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right. Until next time.